G'day Cross Point downtown. My name is Dave Myers. I'm the lead pastor of City on a Hill, Brisbane, and I send you greetings all the way from Australia. Uh, I love you. I love your church. I love your city. Uh, I love the leaders in your church. Love the Walker family, the Ravish family. Uh, I'm thankful to be part of the same family in Christ Jesus together. And we have been thinking about you. We have been praying for your nation, not just your city, uh, that God would be with you uh, in this time. Uh, and so I'd love to pray for your church right now and also pray for our time in God's word together. Uh, why don't you pray with me? Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, thank you so much for my brothers and sisters in Orlando. Thank you for the church, Cross Point downtown. Father, thank you for the incredible work that you have been doing in that church and through that church. Father, would you continue it? Thank you that it is a church that knows you. Thank you that it is a church that has been transformed by the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that Jesus loves this church. Thank you that Jesus died for this church. Thank you that he was raised from the dead. And Father, would you be at work in and through my brothers and sisters in this church? Would you enable them to stand firm in this difficult time? Would you enable them to trust you in all seasons of life? Father, would you continue to provide for them? And Father, would you be at work amongst this Christian community that they would shine the light of Christ in the darkness of Orlando and in the darkness of this time? And we pray this for the glory of your holy name. And Father, we want to thank you that you're a God who speaks. And so we ask that right now you would speak to us through your holy word. May your Holy Spirit illuminate these words, giving insight and understanding. And Father, our prayer today also is that for those who may not yet know you, may not yet have put their trust in Christ, bring this word to life in their hearts that they would turn and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Be with us now, we pray. Amen. I'm going to be reading to you today from 2 Corinthians, chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Working together with him, then, we appeal to you, not to receive the grace of God in vain, for he says, in a favourable time I listen to you, and in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way, so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, by great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise. We are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. We've spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own afflictions. In return, I speak to children as to children, 
widen your hearts also. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. Pray that you're doing well. And I'm rejoicing with you because even though we are not gathered together in person, we are gathered together and God's presence in among, is among us. I'm thankful that my friend Dave read the scripture and prayed for us. And I also want to pray for him and pray for the church that he leads. Uh, it's a church called City on a Hill, Brisbane. So would you join me in praying for the church in Australia right now? Father, thank you that you are about the work of renewal. And that if there's one thing that's just so obvious right now is that you are using the stillness of the whole world, causing us to all wait upon you to get our attention. So, Father, I pray that your church in Brisbane, City on a Hill, would cooperate, cooperate with, with what you're doing. That, God, they would seek your heart, that you would renew them, that you would refine them. God, I pray for your faithful provision upon them. I pray, God, for the outpouring of your spirit that brings revival in Australia. And that, God, you would use Pastor Dave and his leadership and their whole church, God, to see that your kingdom is coming, that your will is being done in Brisbane as it is in heaven. And Lord, we pray that upon our church in our city right now, in Orlando as it is in heaven, in Jesus' name, amen. So I have a question for you. How are your 2020 New Year's resolutions going? I know for me, uh, I wrote my resolution sitting on the back patio of a, of a vacation house in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. I was overlooking the Great Smoky Mountains and it was absolutely gorgeous. I had my pen and, and journal and Bible open and my heart was leaned in to God in prayer and I felt God at work. And on the top of the page that I wrote before I wrote any of my New Year's resolutions or any of my goals for this year, I wrote the words, Jesus is Lord. And every time I write resolutions, I'm reminded that the fact that Jesus is Lord, because when I look at the resolutions and why they don't come about, the goals that happen, sometimes it's in my power and it's in my failure, but sometimes life happens to me, such as this COVID-19 crisis. I never would have thought that today uh, we would be 49 days since our last Sunday morning service, or seven Sundays. For seven Sundays, we've not met physically together. Nor would I have planned in January that we wouldn't even meet on Easter Sunday. Those are unmixed expectations, aren't they? It can feel like disappointment overtakes our lives. I find that that's one of the hard things about life is dealing with unmet expectations. Maybe you've got some. Maybe you think that today, your life isn't what you thought it would be because you're not married or because you don't have children. Or, or maybe it's because your career is not going the way you thought it would. Or maybe you thought things a little bit differently. I never thought that today I would be divorced. I never would have planned for that. Or maybe you'd say, I never would have planned that I would be so lonely right now, longing for deep and authentic connection. But here's what I want to remind you of, even in the midst of your unmet expectations, that if you have an open heart towards God 
and what's going on in your life right now, God will work. My friend, Pastor David Fairchild, he's a pastor in Texas. He says, ministry, if it's truthful, prepares our people for a life of disappointing heartbreak. Full of unmet hopes and dashed dreams, our education, careers, marriages, parenting, accomplishments, health, finances, goals, and abilities all seem too often to fall woefully short of what we envisioned. Strangely, when I began to accept this, it was liberating. I realized living well had little to do with avoiding heartbreak and more to do with learning how to handle them, even profit from them. The empty tomb is no less than God nailing his colors to the mast to tell the world disappointment does not win. Instead, we're invited to invest those disappointments in the hope of what will come, not as pie-in-the-sky positive thinking, but a sure hope that embraces the bloody cross and empty tomb and says the worst thing that has happened is not the last thing that will happen. Can we just acknowledge that right now there's a story that God is writing and we are not the author. And we get to take our lives, our unmet expectations, our disappointments, and we get to bring those under the bloody cross in the empty tomb and say, God, with an open heart, I'm allowing you to work in my life, to be my Lord. Because friends, Jesus is Lord. That was the message that Paul was proclaiming to the church of Corinth. And this is the message that the church of Corinth ultimately rejected because they rejected Paul as their apostle. They rejected the grace of God in his message. And thus, because they rejected the apostle that God sent by his will, they were rejecting Christ himself. And so the letter of 2 Corinthians is an appeal to be reconciled to God and to the apostle in his work, his preaching and his teaching and his labor among them. And they, but they had rejected him. And Kent Hughes gives us a glimpse of why the church of Corinth would reject the apostle Paul. He says, Paul knew that most of the Corinth had, not been, had been reconciled to God, but he knew that some were still rejecting him. And by rejecting him as the messenger of reconciliation, they were rejecting the message of reconciliation. And Paul knew why they were rejecting him. It was because they could not believe that he could be a true apostle and be subject to such weaknesses and extraordinary sufferings. God's blessing, they reasoned, would be evidenced by peace and well-being. To their mind, his incessant troubles and miseries were evidence of God's displeasure. They could not accept Paul. Paul didn't fit the standard of what they thought an apostle would be like. They thought maybe they could get a pastoral search committee and they could find someone who fit the picture. But Paul here is giving a defense of his apostleship. He's giving a defense of his ministry. And he uses these words to appeal to their heart that they would have an open heart. And you'll see in verse 13 that he says, my heart is open towards you, so you should have an open heart towards me. He goes through this, uh, and I'm going to do this in three parts. Number one, we see that the time, there's the time and the time is now, verses one through three. We're going to see that Paul commends himself, the commendation. 
as he goes into his ministry defense in verses 4 through 10. And then finally, we're going to see Paul's posture. And his posture is with a heart that is wide open. He says, now is the time. Now, if you look back before uh, chapter 6, one verse in at chapter 5, verse 21, you see Paul's most famous appeal for reconciliation. You probably have heard this verse. If not, and you're hearing it for the first time, hear it with ears afresh and anew. For God made him who knew no sin to be sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That there is this divine exchange that took place where God, through the work of his son, Jesus Christ, took on all of our sin and he gave us his righteousness. God made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's his appeal that they would be reconciled to God, that they wouldn't twiddle their thumbs or give thought about it anymore, but he'd say, now is the time. Now is the time for you to receive the grace of God. And don't receive the grace of God in vain. Verse 1 of chapter 6, Working together with Him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For He says, quoting from Isaiah, In a favorable time I have listened to you. In the day of salvation I have helped you. That God's favor is still outpouring today. That God's blessing of salvation is still there for the taking today. And you should not wait any longer. Now is the time. And this was his plea for them to receive his message of reconciliation, to be reconciled to God, and to live as ministers of reconciliation. Now is not the time to live for yourself but to live for God. Can you hear that message in our world today? Now's not the time to live for yourself, but to live for God. You know, I, I think when Paul says that we shouldn't receive the grace of God in vain, I don't think it's just a call to salvation, but I also think it's a call to sanctification. That the message that we profess or proclaim should match with the practice of our lives. That the confession of our voices would match the conduct of our lives and the content of our character. Too often time, those things are horribly at odds in the Christian. And we receive the grace of God in vain when we don't live out the grace of God as He intended when we walk in disobedience to His Word and we don't follow Jesus with our heart, but yet we're willing to say Jesus is Lord and our lives look far differently than that being the truth. I think it's important that we realize that our lives shout what we worship, who we worship, and what our lives are all about. There's a uh, pastor, his name's Maury Harris, he says, the life of the Christian is the most eloquent advertisement of the gospel. Think about it. Your life is an advertisement of the gospel. So it's important that what we proclaim on Sunday is also what we proclaim on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. 
and that the way we proclaim it is not only with our voices, but the way we live our lives, wholly acceptable to Him and pleasing in the sight of the world, that they know that something is different about us because this person, Jesus, is real and true, and He is about the business of saving and changing people right now. That we would live out the, the, this advertisement of the gospel. So now is the time, church, to, to stop just playing the, the church game, doing the Sunday mornings, and then on Monday your life looks no different than your neighbor. That now is the time to on bended knee see the grace of God that's extended to you and receive it that we would live in that right now. You know, this message was clear for Paul so much so that he says in verse 3, we put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found in our ministry. Paul lived plainly before the church. He was not hiding anything from them because he didn't want his life to be an obstacle. You all know of stories of pastors who have lived, uh, or ministers who have lived differently than the, the truth that they've proclaimed. And it has caused the church to fall into disrepute, to be a laughingstock. But yet Paul says, my life has not been an obstacle for you, Corinth. My life has been a message. It's been an advertisement. It's matched my words. I think it's important right now in this time to realign our lives to what God is doing. Can we be honest and say that no matter how busy your life is, God has caused a stillness to exist? And that stillness that is existing is that you would quiet your soul and pay attention to what He has to say? That's what's going on in this coronavirus pandemic, right? John Piper recently wrote a book called The Coronavirus in Christ, and he says the coronavirus is God's thunderclap call for all of us to repent and realign our lives with the infinite worth of Christ. The thunderclap call that says pay attention. There is the worthiness, the worthiness of Christ that your life should be realigned to that everything about you should be turned towards Him and away from yourself. That when we pay attention to those things, it creates an open-heartedness towards the work of God in our lives. It creates an open-heartedness in the work of brothers and sisters who are trying to, uh, to be used by God in our growth, in our discipleship, in our sanctification. Now Paul goes into a defense of his ministry. Uh, you see it here in verse 4. He says, But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. Paul is commending himself. He's not bragging about himself, but he's, he's handing them his resume. And this is a resume that you wouldn't find very many people submitting in the professional worlds that we live in. But this is a resume that God gave Paul that qualified him for ministry. And if you look here at the words, he says, Great endurance... In afflictions, hardships, calamities, in every way, uh, by beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, and hunger. 
You know, all of these calamities are calamities that Paul could have avoided. You know, pain is natural for every person. Uh, there are some calamities that befall all of mankind, but, but Paul submitted to these calamities different than we would submit to the universal pain that we would expect humanity to go through. Paul was experiencing these hardships because he would not keep quiet about the gospel. Think about when Paul was in Ephesus and he was preaching about the lordship and the power of Jesus Christ to be, to bring salvation. And as he preached that Jesus was so valuable and of far more worth than anything else, that people began to stop buying the idols of the silversmiths. And the silversmiths started a riot because their quarterly earnings were down. They were so upset, they, they showed up at the Apostle Paul's house and said, we're going to kill you. And they left him beaten and for dead. And Paul could have avoided that. How? By just stop preaching the gospel. Or maybe uh, we think about Philippi. When Paul was... Uh, when, when Paul was, was doing his missionary journey and he came across a slave girl who continued to annoy him. And she annoyed him by saying that these men are men of the most high God. They came to proclaim to you the way of salvation. And she kept saying it. These are men of the most high God and they came to proclaim to you the way of salvation. And it became an annoyance in Paul in this fit of annoyance, says to this girl, to the demon inside of her, I cast you out in the name of Jesus. And the problem was gone. But it created a new problem. Men who had profited from this girl were now losing revenue in business. And they had Paul beaten and threw him in prison. And so if Paul would just stop following God, if he would just stop submitting himself to God's will, he wouldn't face these hardships. But church, we must embrace the hardships that come with our faith because it's through those hardships that God works. There's a woman named Elizabeth Elliot. She was married to the famed Jim Elliot who died trying to reach the unreached people group in South America. She writes something very simple, but something we must pay attention to. She says, I'm not a theologian or a scholar, but I'm very well aware of the fact that pain is necessary for all of us. We have to embrace pain because God uses these pains in our life to make us more like Jesus. He uses it as the hot iron that is being beaten and turned into being brought into conformity of Jesus Christ. Secondarily, we live out grace. We live out grace by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love by truthful speech and the power of God. If you look at the middle of this passage I just read, you see the Holy Spirit. None of these things are possible without the Holy Spirit's work in you. Think about the fruit of Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Paul says against these things, there is no law. It's these things that we must embrace. This is not just being on our best behavior, but this is seeking the Spirit's guidance. 
This is following the Spirit's urgings in His work. This is dying to ourself and falling after God. Paul lived this way in full view for the church of Corinth to see. And then we see Paul's confidence in, un- in, in changing circumstances. He says, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise. Paul wasn't fighting a battle with the world's weapons. He had the sword of the Spirit in his right hand and his left that that God equipped him fully to fight the good fight of faith. Even though one day he could be dishonored, one day he could be honored, one day he could be praised, and another he could be slandered. He didn't get high when it was high. He didn't get too low when it was low. He didn't didn't, uh, uh, fill his life with with people's praises and think highly of himself, nor did he, when he was slandered, live in despair because he had a confident hope in the face of changing circumstances. And then he had a hope in deliverance. He says in verse 8, we're treated as imposters and yet are true, as unknown and well-known, as dying and behold we live, as punished yet not killed, as sorrowful yet rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. When Paul stood before the courts of the world and he gave the testimony of Jesus Christ, he knew no matter what happened, he would be vindicated. He would be delivered, even if it meant his death. Because the worst thing that could happen to him, as Pastor David Fairchild said earlier, is not the last thing that will ever happen to him. Because deliverance is what God has promised for his people who trust in him. What did Paul possess? He says possessing everything. He possessed Christ. Christ was his treasure. Christ was his ultimate hope. He could live in these paradoxes of having nothing, yet possessing everything with his hands empty. And yet have the treasure of Jesus Christ and and be richer than anyone else on the planet. Sam Storm says, nothing can be more obvious than this. If Christ is not himself a treasure of incomparable worth, a prize of incalculable value, a source of ineffable satisfaction, material hardship will only serve to embitter and harden your heart. It's a good word for right now because I do think material hardship could be on the horizon for us. And you know what I think? I think God's going to use it. I think God's going to take the hands that we've gripped so tightly to, the, to our idols and He's going to loosen them. And He's going to cause our hands to hold on to the treasure that we know is surpassing everything else. And that's the treasure that is knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. May He be your treasure. And He'll help you navigate the ups and downs of life and the paradoxes of ministry. I think about ministry with an open heart. I think about going to the bedside of a woman who's dying. Being able to say to this dear sister in Christ, though you will die, in Christ you live 
forever. That's a paradox. Or when a loved one hears the news of cancer, you can say to them, though your flesh and your heart may fail, God is your strength and your portion forever. These are the paradoxes that we're called to live in and our hands are to be embracing the treasure of the gospel in Jesus Christ, the day of salvation and the day of His favor, that we would not receive the grace of God in vain. And we're to do this with hearts wide open. That's the posture. A posture of open-heartedness. Paul was an open-hearted apostle. He says in verse 11, We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. Paul, when he was rejected by the church of Corinth, he didn't retaliate, nor did he withdraw. But his response to them is this, my heart's wide open to you. He says, if there's anything that's restricting you from receiving my open-hearted ministry or this appeal to be reconciled to God, it's you, he says, but you are restricted in your own affections. And he pleads with them as a father would be pleading with their children. He says, in return, widen your hearts also. That's God's heart for the church today. That now, your heart would be wide open open to be reconciled to him and one another through the work of Jesus Christ, that you would receive the grace of God, not only with the profession of your lips and your mouth, but with your way of life, your conduct. And that as a Christian, as you go through difficulties, you would embrace hardship and trials that you would live out the grace of God, that you would have a confidence in Christ in the midst of un- these, these changing circumstances, and that you would look to Jesus for the hope of deliverance because even though the worst might happen, the worst is not the end. And God's got you. He's going to see you through. That we would live our lives as ministers, open-hearted ministers, because we have an open-hearted Savior. This is who Paul was pointing them to. The open-hearted ministry of Jesus Christ on the cross. He said in the book of Romans, chapter 5, verse 8, he says, But God shows His love for us in that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, Paul's posture of open-heartedness was an illustration, it's a picture of the open-hearted work of the Savior. That while we were yet sinners, His heart was not closed towards us. But there He is on that old rugged cross, beaten and brutalized for our sake, receiving us just as we are. He doesn't say, try to make yourself better, try to accomplish these lists, try to, try to do these things, and then I'm going to love you. He says, I already love you, and I'm proving it to you right now. And on that cross, he's bringing glory to God by demonstrating that God is not closed off to man, but he's saying, come, come right now. That's the message today. So maybe as we started talking about unmet expectations, it leads you 
to think, I wonder if I have a heart that's closed towards God. Do you know sin, it can produce a hardened heart towards the Lord. And when our hearts aren't open towards God, our hearts are hardened towards Him. There's only one thing that can soften a hardened heart, even for the Christian. It's the Holy Spirit. And so maybe right now, if you're angry at God, if you're mad at God, if you believe that somehow God's kind of left you hanging, the appeal of the Holy Spirit is that you would receive His renewal in grace right now and He soften you. That you wouldn't look at the unmet expectations of your life as failures, but you would see that it's God using those pains to draw you close. And maybe you're walking in hard-hearted rebellion, just flat out seeking life on your own in sinful self-indulgence. Do you know that God's strong enough to break those demonic strongholds? That God would take a hard-hearted sinner and say, for God shows His love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. That's the posture of our Savior. And that's the thunderclap of God right now. That we would behold His glory in His Son and we'd receive this message of favor in this day of salvation and say, above all else, I'm living for God. My life is an eloquent advertisement of God's glory. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you're at work right now. Father, you're drawing us to yourself. That, Lord, we would let go of the things that are laying hold to our heart and causing them to be hardened. But we would receive those things of mercy that are drawing us inward. And, Lord, I even thank you for the severe mercy that some might be enduring right now. While it's hard, Lord, it's causing us to be dependent and desperate for you. So we thank you for it. And we look towards the future. A future that in this world looks very uncertain. But we look to your certainty with confidence. Because Jesus, we know that because of the cross, you will never leave us nor forsake us. And that your hand of blessing is upon us. God, give us the strength today to follow after you. In Christ's name, amen.